0: Hello? Well, hello. Can you hear me?
1: I can. Can you hear me? Yes, I do. All right. Well, welcome to Masterclass Theology. We are in the book Ecclesiastes. We are in chapter 5, and we are going to be in chapter 6 as well. And we started in chapter 5 last week. And uh, let me get myself set up here. All right. Well, good. Good. This is we're second week in a row of this uh, remote recording, and we're going to get this figured out, and it'll be great. Uh, uh, Mick, Mick, why don't you open us up with a word of prayer, would you please?
0: Absolutely. Dad, uh, we come before you, and we want to first uh, praise your holy name because you are awesome. In spite of everything that's going on right now, the one thing that we know is that this didn't catch you by surprise. You're in complete control of human history. And this is part of your plan for some reason, and we just pray that as we go through our daily lives, that that in it and through it, we can still serve you and worship you and, and fear you along the way. We pray that you speak to us through the Book of Ecclesiastes, and that as as Joel and I um, engage in this conversation, that that we can um, we can unpack a lot of truth from you. Uh, that comes from your word. And we thank you for that in, in the name of your son, Jesus. And we pray for the listeners
1: too, that they may be blessed by this as well. And in Jesus name, we pray this. Amen. Amen. And, and want to echo what Mick said there. We are so grateful that you are listening out here in podcast land. Some of you, or in fact, most of you, if not all of you are having uh, some kind of a quarantine or some kind of shut in. And uh, we are, we are all in this together and uh, we're going through similar things. And, um, the trick, I guess, is to try to find contentment when things are when things are are harder than usual, or maybe even things are greater than usual. It's can I be content, and that's what we're going to call tonight's lesson: contentment. And we're in Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 8, and we'll end in chapter 6, which ends in a, a verse 12. But I wanted to start tonight, Mick, with um, with allowing uh, Jesus to set the table. I, I remember. Uh, I remember long ago, I was praying with somebody. We were trying to make a decision. And I said, you know what? Let's give Jesus the first word. Well, we we waited, we waited a whole week before we decided something. I said, okay, we'll give Jesus the first word. And uh, and then uh, you give Jesus the last word too. And He kind of has all the words in between. But Jesus sets the table here with this word. This is like a mic drop moment for Jesus. Matthew 19, 23. Now, again, this is not Ecclesiastes, but I wonder if Jesus had Ecclesiastes on his mind. When he, when he uttered this verse, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. That, again, is Matthew 19, 23. So I got two question goals for today. This is what we've got. Number one, what is it about the rich person that makes faith in God difficult? So we're not going to necessarily answer that right now, but we hope we're going to get that by the end of our chapter today. What is it about the rich person that makes faith in God difficult? And number two, how can I not be like that proverbial rich man? Because I want to enter the kingdom of heaven, and I want that. And what's going on? So please help us, Koheleth, with this journey. And um, any opening thoughts there before we sally forth, man?
0: Oh, boy. No, you know what? I want us to sally forth. I've got some thoughts on mine, but I, I want us to sally forth at this point.
1: All right. We sally, we sally. All right, so the first section we're calling Systems, 5, 8 to 12. Here it goes. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official was eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to those, to the owners, except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So uh, we've got a, a reminder from Hebrews chapter 13, another New Testament moment breaking in here. Keep your eyes, keep your lives, excuse me keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said never will I leave you never will I forsake you so it's almost as if in that verse is like hey be content because you have God and he hasn't left you yet so number one here um, trying to explain these four verses in life lived under the sun power and corruption rise at every level and the king is going to get his. And, and we're not surprised, Mick, when, you know, Israel didn't have a king. Their king was God. And this is back in the days of Samuel. And they cried out. They wanted to be like their neighbors. They wanted to have a king. And God allowed them to have a king. But he, he warned them, hey, you know what? The king is going to take from you. And you're going to give the best of your things. Eventually, he's going to go to the king. And whether it's a tax or there's part of your flock, whether it's your sons and daughters, all these things, the king is going to get his. And so in life lived under the sun, power and corruption rise at every level.
0: Yeah, the grass always looks greener on the other side, doesn't it? Mm. I mean, the same thing happened with uh, the serpent when he tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. You know, this looks so much better than than what we have. It's always a temptation.
1: Yeah. Number two, profit never fulfills those who pursue it. So feeding that desire never satisfies the hunger. It reminds me of that uh, Oh, it's that, that old, uh, he's, he's now dead. he's a stand-up comedian, it's a big guy, John Panette. And he talked about how he was at a, a Chinese buffet, he just kept eating and eating and eating. And he got to the end of his meal and he said, oh, I'll never be able to eat again, I'm so stuffed. And then he looks up and says, oh, look, they're bringing egg rolls so he can eat again. And that's the, the old joke about Chinese food is that it leaves you hungry. But that's the idea here is if you try to feed this desire to get things, you're never going to have that satisfaction. You're never going to have that full stomach. As it were, you're always going to be hungry and even more hungry. And, uh, the profit never fulfills those who pursue it. Mick, can you find fulfillment in things? If you're, if your life is just spent pursuing things, will you ever find, did that song get it right when, uh, what band was it that said i still haven't found what i'm looking for
0: that was you too
1: you too and uh what do you think about that
0: well i mean that's that's just it these things never really satisfy me we're always gonna need to get the next Mm. whatever you know i'm gonna after i i eat that power breakfast i'm gonna need to eat something for lunch and i'm gonna be hungry again by dinner it just it just never ends
1: and he brings up here this idea between, uh, this is a, I almost called this this session eat, because he keeps bringing up eating this whole time. And we have this this poor day laborer speaking in uh, verse 12, the sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat, they eat little or much. So the poor day laborer sleeps more peacefully than the, than the abundant rich man. And I got to <laughs> tell you, I, I experienced this, I've never experienced being rich but I experienced this in college where I had a college job where it was one of those things where I, I, it was not a clock in clock out kind of deal. It was, I I was, I was managing something at the at the school newspaper and I was always taking my work with me and I never could, I I never could just leave it at the office. I always had it brought home and I was always worrying about things. And I eventually, I was horrible about that, about that job. And I, I eventually had to move on to another job. And so the next job I took was washing dishes in the school cafeteria. Because I just wanted to be able to clock in, bust my tail, clock out, and then go home and not think about my job at all. And so that's what we get the day laborer here. He is busting his hump, and then he just goes home and is able to sleep. Whereas the rich man, his mind is so focused on, on getting more in and, 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 and his bottom line and all these things, he can't get any sleep. Mick, what, what did this section teach us about life?
0: Well, again, going to the issue of money that you that you never have enough, um, again, just that there, there's no satisfying. See, because the thing is that there's no real fulfillment in them um, goes back to the opening thing. Everything's vaporous. Mm. It, it's fleeting. Once you have it, it's like you really don't have it because it doesn't give you that that ultimate satisfaction. I'm still thinking back week one when you started singing satisfaction.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's there's something systemic here. This, the system it's, we're not surprised when we see injustice happening because injustice happens all all up and down the system. The more power you get, you know, the more, the more opportunity for corruption there might be. And we see here a system at work in our own life, life as well. If you are, if you are fulfilling the system that I must get more in order to find value in life, you're never going to find that value because you're going to get that thing and then you're going to wish you had another thing. It's just never going to. So, so if life is lived this way, it never, ever is going to be a satisfactory life. There's never going to be a chance where you're going to go, wow, I'm content because you want the next best thing. You want that thing. You want, it's like my son trying to, he just got a Kindle fire this week and, and, and he wants to download apps he would just download apps all day long. It's like, just, just play the ones you've got play the games that are on there. No, no, no. I want more. And I'm I'm tired of this one. I want this one here. And I want that one. He just wants to download apps all day. I said, what's the point? Can't you be satisfied? Can't you be content? And there's a frustration there. And that leads us into our next section, 13 to 17 frustration. Kohela says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. For wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain, since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Wow. Number one, living for things to stuff into your life can only bring frustration. It's just not enough. It doesn't last. Have you, Mick, have you ever experienced this where you just wanted to keep living and try to get more things?
0: Well, yes, I'd be a liar if I said no. And, uh, and, and I learned that it didn't really seem to satisfy after a certain point. And then the other thing is once you have, you have more things to take care of and protect. And it's just kind of a, a vicious cycle.
1: Yeah. Number two, rather than changing his ways, uh, we, we see this picture of this guy at the end of that, that passage there. He's he's eating it alone. Uh, rather than changing his ways, the guy eats a wealthy, depressed meal in the dark. And so this guy is not finding any satisfaction. And, 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 and the author of Ecclesiastes paints the picture that maybe this guy had a great wealth and he just lost it for some reason. Like, I don't know. The, the market turned sour and he lost all of his nest egg and he has nothing to give to his kids. And, and, and Kohalep is just, is grieving that. It's like, that's terrible. And, uh, but rather than change his ways and, and not live to get the next thing, this guy must keep going and just keep going and keep going. And now he's eating a frustrated, depressed meal by himself. And, uh, what's the challenge of this section, Mick? Is there something that that is, is inherently challenging us in these four or five verses?
0: I mean, you know, the, the big thing is—is is the first you—you can't take it with you. You came in naked. You're going to go out naked. I mean, how is this where I think this this came into? Uh, well, you got Genesis. You know, dust you came, dust you return. But here it elaborates on a different. And this is this is an oft-repeated phrase even in the world. You know, you're going you're going to you came in your birthday suit. You're going to leave in your birthday suit.
1: Yeah
0: wow
1: yeah I'm just looking at the grievous evil so
0: it makes you wonder then, why are we going through all of this in the first place and again we're, we're approaching this as if God's not in the picture but you know so with God not in the picture why are we going through all of this because in between the riches there's also suffering it's like why even go through it if God's not in the picture is well, this and, well,
1: yeah God's in the next section and here's something that just stuck into my mind is uh In verse 13, so the the grievous evil that he found is wealth that is hoarded to the harm of its owners. And so when you buy things, when you acquire things in this life, the last thing you're thinking of is, yay, this is going to harm me. And wow, I've now bought this. And boy, I better watch out because I bought this. This is really going to be the end of me. And Wealth that is hoarded to the harm of it. So it's almost like the life lived to do that is eventually going to wreck your life. Is if, if you're living this materialistic thing and that and the next best thing is the next best thing in your mind. And you never are satisfied. You never are content. It's like that mindset, that life philosophy is actually going to come to your ruin. I mean, yeah, that, and not only
0: that, but it's also the fear of losing that stuff. So that yeah. that that comes into it, it, it's a vicious cycle. It doesn't end. One thing leads to another. You got once you have, you got to spend more to keep it. Once you spend more to keep it, you're worried about somebody coming to take it from behind you, or or whatever. And there, one thing leads to another thing that you didn't think about.
1: Amen. Yeah, and this next section, he's gonna paint. Uh, he's gonna paint two pictures here. The first one I, I called enjoyed, and the second one not enjoyed. And we're going to see God's hand at work in all this, but the the end result of the first guy is he's enjoying things. The end result of the second guy is he's not. So let's look at the enjoyed first, 18 to 20. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, I like that, to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them. For this is their lot, moreover. When God gives someone wealth, possessions, and, and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Boy, I think of all the people I know that, are, that have anxiety, that are depressed, that are constantly reliving the mistakes of their past, that are constantly dealing with the woulda, coulda, shoulda. This verse 20 says they're not reflecting on these things because God keeps them occupied. But they're so glad in their heart right now. They're so satisfied with where God has them right now. They don't have time to go back in the past and relitigate everything. That's amazing. This verse, that verse 20 rocks my socks. That's, that's an amazing verse. I, I, I want to be there. And uh, so the enjoyed person, number one, contentment is found in response to the gifts that God gives. So reorient yourself to God. And number two, the wealthy person could indeed have this perspective and truly enjoy life. So that kind of answers our opening question. What is it about the rich person that makes faith in God difficult? Well, evidently, if God is allowing this person not only to have wealth, but to to react properly to that wealth, then they seem to be okay with God. That reminds us that faith in God doesn't matter about if you're wealthy or poor. Faith comes because God's going to give you the ability to have that faith. And the, the ability to react to wealth seems to be something that's given by God. What do you think about that, Oh
0: uh, Yeah, I mean, totally. It's a gift. You know, as, as we're going through the section last uh, semester in the fall, I uh, I, I took a class on, on Christian economics, and one of the things that we talked about was was the whole subject about wealth. On the one hand, you have James, who, who who's, who's in chapter uh, is it four or five? I'm trying to think of here. Let me check real quick. Uh, yeah, in chapter five, he's saying, now listen, you rich people, uh, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. I'm like, ouch, you don't want to be rich based off of that passage. And then at the end, you know, he says, uh, you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. You know, he's basically, he's tantamountingly accusing them of, of murder for being rich. And then uh, in first in, in Timothy six, you know, Paul writes and says, hey, it's okay to have wealth and to enjoy it, as long as you make sure you take care of everything you need to. You know, I think of this verse 20 here, and it reminds me of what Paul wrote in 1 Timothy uh, 6, 17, and 18. You can enjoy it, you, you you know, just as long as you put money in its proper place. So yeah, but again, you enjoy it based off of what? Uh, off of God, following God's principles.
1: And it even seems even a bit more stronger than that. Whereas God is literally giving you the ability to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. it's like wow. I mean, there's that's like God's direct gift that yeah. uh, you you not only are going to receive, but you're going to now have the right the right response to that because God is going to give you the ability to have that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and, and and let's be clear about this. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is just more realizing that this is what God is giving us. And again, as long as money is not our idol, as long as wealth is not our God, as long as God remains God.
1: Hmm. Well, the second guy here in the 6, 1 to 6 is the not enjoyed guy. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. And then he gets kind of hypothetical here. A man may have a hundred children and live many, many years. Yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness. And in darkness, its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. So number one, it's possible to have all that the heart desires, yet find no joy in it. Wow. Tell that to our materialistic culture right now. It's possible to have all that your heart desires and that you won't have any joy in it. I mean, you go back to chapter one. We're meant to think of Solomon back there, but he had everything. And he had everything on top of everything. And by the end of the by the end of the second chapter, he's he's ready to end his life. Like he just hates his life. He is though he has everything, he does not enjoy it. He just he just has no joy at all in all that he has, even though he has everything. And number two, Koheleth makes the point about having life, but not truly having life. And I I my my wife and I have had a stillborn child, and so I read this and I was I was my hackles were rising a bit like, oh, no, he didn't. What's he talking about here? But you got to think about the ancient world when they didn't have uh, obstetricians or gynecologists or anything like that, where you didn't have ultrasounds or all you basically had was maybe you could feel your tummy and the, the womb area and maybe feel some kicking or whatnot. But imagine the shock when the nine months are over and you go into labor, especially in that world, when the science wasn't even a, wasn't even much of a thing, and to have a baby come out that is dead. And Imagine that shock that's what he wants us to picture. This guy who has it all but can't enjoy it. The shock value of that, and be like, if you like, if we knew of like a, a Warren, like a Bill Gates or something, where like who has billions of dollars and all of a sudden he has no joy, it's like, what do you mean you have no joy? You have everything. If we found that out, we would be shocked. And yeah, uh, what do we think about this, Mick? This, these six verses here.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing about not even, I mean, obviously, that's not what he's saying. I mean, and, and I think that we also need to appreciate that this is poetic language and that this is hyperbole. Because I think a lot of people, when you read something like this, they're like, oh, you see there, we're better off um, not existing. No, it's not, not what he's saying. He's just making a point that by exaggerating something that, that like you, you you finish explaining that it just seems so horrific, especially back in that t- that time. Not that it's any less horrific now, but especially back when when you really didn't know anything about all these things that would go on in, in those months. You know, as far as labor was concerned. I mean, again, yeah. Especially because we do know where this book, and we have to keep this in context. That this is this book was meant to be read in one setting. We know that he's going to affirm God. And that's kind of the thing that we always got to keep in mind. It's just that he is showing us what it's like when we're not affirming God in, in the process.
1: To have life, but to not really have life. We would imagine somebody on Instagram with all their riches, uh, maybe making like a hashtag. "Hey, I'm living the life. And and to the outside world, this person who has everything, it seems like they have the life. And you know, like the old Robin Leach show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It's like you think that they're living the life, but reality, they're not living the life. They have no life. There's nothing about their life that's to, to write home about. If they cannot have this perspective towards their possessions, then their relationship with God, well, let's get to this question here. What does our contentment or enjoyment, what does that communicate about how we view God? Mick, Mick if you're not someone who's content, what does that say about how you view God, especially if you're a Christian?
0: Well, for one thing, it says uh, I'm, I'm an ingrate. I think big, big time. I would say I, I, I don't appreciate what he has given me. Uh, I'm looking at the cup half empty all the time. Those are the sort of things that, that it, that it would be if we're not, um, you know, if we're never content. I mean, not, not only that, but it speaks bad of the gospel. Gospel means good news. If I'm not content, how is that communicating good news, to people?
1: Right. Yeah, it, it's kind of like. <laughs> you get in trouble as a married person if you were to tell your spouse hey i love you but you're just not enough for me i need something else i need someone else that's dangerous territory that's that's horrible you don't that, that's not love if, if, if the one you're married to is not enough for you and so imagine saying that to god where the, lo- the love relationship there is is a comp- exponential another level there God, you provided for me, but I need to I need to step out on you, God, and go find my satisfaction from somebody else. I'm not going to fully trust you, God. I'm not going to leave these things in your hands because I don't think your hands are going to be capable enough, because if they were, I would already have this, this, this and this and this all that my heart desires and all that my eyes see that I want and all that I would be satisfying my envy and my jealousy and the things that I desire and Rather than saying to God, God, you know what's best, and God, I will wait for your answer and wait for your provision and trust and depend upon you every single day. Instead, I'm going to be, like you said, an ingrate. I'm going to not be content. I'm not even going to enjoy what I have because I'm looking for the next windfall. I think that communicates to God that he's not enough and that, honestly, I don't think if, if that's you, I don't think God has ever been enough. I think that God was just the next thing you added to your list and you just took that on. Because to truly come into a relationship with God, you recognize that you're not God and that if you're going to have anything that coming from this relationship to you is from God and it's it's God's will. And to not be satisfied, that says a lot about you and it communicates a lot about how you view God. And I don't think that's a way to go about this life. That's kind of a danger, dangerous place to be in if you're going to view God that way.
0: Again, I, I keep saying this and I feel like a, a broken record. I keep going back to Genesis 3. That's exactly what's going on. You know, um, yeah, you know, God. what you just trying to say God has provided me with everything. He's given me this amazing woman. He's given me all of this around me. And he subjected everything below me. I mean, think about it. I mean, that is the sweetest deal. And he still said, you know what? I want to see what the next best thing could be, which obviously was a lie because there wasn't any. And this is kind of like the failure of not only a lack of gratitude, but also a lack of maturity. Look to Adam and Eve's in Adam and Eve's defense. They may have been adults in the garden of Eden as far as physical form, but they were emotionally immature. Hmm. They had
1: no experiences. And it sounds like you're painting a picture of madness here. We got seven to nine. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. And that would mean something, especially we, we, we get this in the in, in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus, the most of the people listening to Jesus on the on the, the hills of Galilee, uh, they were they were day laborers, and so they worked for a Denarius. And so when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, they were working all day to get that coin so they could go buy their meal for their family. They were working every single day. So they literally were working just to put food in, in, in their mouths. And so that's the idea there. So we'll, we'll, uh, seven to nine, uh, once again, everyone's is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? And he kind of starts asking questions here. He's trying to process. What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees and the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Number one, the pursuit of a what or a thing will never fill the gaping void within you. Listener out there, if you've got this gaping void in your heart, in your life, you're trying to fill it with something. You're trying to do the next thing you can do or try to acquire the next thing. You're trying to find... Oh, I just got to have the next thing. I've got to have this relationship. I've got to have this item, especially as you're sitting there in your home all day in this, you know, this coronavirus quarantine and you're wishing you were out there. You're wishing you were doing this. You wish you had this. Maybe you're taking stock of your life during this quiet season right now. And You eventually are tired of your TV. You're eventually putting down your phone and you're realizing, man, what is this life for? What is my life all about? Let me just tell you, the author of Ecclesiastes would remind you that the pursuit of a what or a thing will never fill that gaping void within you. And number two, The content never has to search in the manner of the non-content find themselves doing. Those who aren't content are always looking for something. They're always looking for the next best thing. I love the image he gives us here of this roving, chasing after the wind. We get the impression there of like a a small boat that has a big old sail. And the guy out there just doesn't know where to go. So he'll just unfurl the sail and let the wind take him wherever he goes. And uh, that's kind of like the equivalent of just, you know, rapid fire pointing at a page of the Bible and just started reading. You know, I, I don't really care what I read. I'll just read something. Or going to a map and just pressing somewhere on the map. And, okay, that's where I'll travel next. Just being going hither and yon by chasing after this wind. And, um, yeah, if you're content, you're not acting that way. There's a purpose to your days or something. You're, you're not always just looking for that next thing. And you never, ever will be able to say what you too says. I still haven't found what I'm looking for because you found it. And you found it because God gave it to you. God provided it for you. And now he's given you the ability to be content. And you're willing to stop there. You're willing to say, all right, that's it. God's provided. And until God provides anything else, I'm good. I need nothing else because God's God and I'm not. Any thoughts, man?
0: Yeah, I mean, and and here's the thing about that too, though. It doesn't always feel that way. Because I think that's, that's one of the problems I think that, that we all wrestle with is, is that we expect to feel it that way all the time and it doesn't always feel that way that's why john when he writes both his gospel and and his epistles he constantly emphasized the word no you got to know this you you got to trust this you got to believe this because he knows we're not always in feel it. and that's the thing that we have to watch out feelings are very much also like the wind they come in and they go <laughs> as they feel and and that's just the thing that even when you and this is where I, you know you and I both talk about the song Way Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, I know he's with me. And even when I don't, when I don't, when I'm not feeling, it, I know he's with me. And, and we know that he's in control. This coronavirus is making it seem the exact opposite, but we know that not to be the case. On a field level, I'm pretty sure you have probably had days where you feel worse than others, as as we as this quarantine has gone gone on, right? Yeah, I mean, there's days where we're going to feel, and that's, we're not talking about that we we will never feel like that. But the thing is that we know that's not it. We know God is in control. Um, Again, the, the big problem with, keep going back to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve stopped trusting God. I mean, I can imagine how they probably felt, like, is there something more, I mean, I'm not blaming them for the feeling of that. I'm, I'm blaming for how they chose to respond. And, and that was basically to not trust God. And that's that's the flaw. That's the thing that we all struggle with too, trusting God.
1: Yeah. To use the language of this chapter, it would almost seem like that God gave them everything, but did not give them the ability to truly enjoy those things. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the first chance they got they look. They looked away. It's kind of like when the uh, the Israelites were passing through, and they're trying to go to the Promised Land, and they come about the Moabites, and this is where uh, we get some, the Balaam kind of enters the story as well. And uh, we, we learned that the Moabites came out to meet the Israelites, and they brought two things: they brought meat, and they brought women. And the first possible chance that the Israelites had to step out on God, they did, and they prostituted themselves. With the Moabite women, had a had a big barbecue, and it's it's a great shame. The first opportunity Adam and Eve got, God wasn't enough. Yeah, and what God had said wasn't enough. And our culture acts like the serpent does when the serpent's first. His first move is, did God really say that? And it gets them questioning God's word. Nowadays, it's more like the God. Did God even really speak? There you go. So it sounds like there, there's a reality here, and I love how this text ends because uh, the, the author here, he's like taking no, no, no prisoners. He's just, he's, just, he's just guns a-blazing here at the end, 10 to 12, the reality. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. For The more the words, the less the meaning, and how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? Number one, the author of Ecclesiastes has brutally exposed the underbelly of reality. And number two, just like Job once found out, there's no debating or outmaneuvering God. It's like he's laid everything on the table. This is the way life is. And you either are enjoying what God gives you and you're you're reacting properly or you're not. And most more than likely you're not if you're living to features, to, to, if you're living for your next best thing, then um, if you're never content, it will show. It, it's not something you can hide. It's not something you can sweep under the carpet. This is it. And it's just kind of like this is the way God is, has laid this out. And there's really no talking about this. You can't really argue about it. It's, it's it. It's, it's done. And the one who is stronger, God, you can't contend with him. It's like you're either trusting God or you're not trusting God. And you can't fake it either way. That's just, that's it. And I don't know, any, any closing thoughts here on these three verses, Mick?
0: Well, you know, going back to Genesis, but this time chapter one, it'd be, in the beginning, God made everything. I mean, right there that's telling you that God's going to be over everything. Everything owes its existence to God. You know, and, and here's the thing, too. We can't make sense of life based off of our own experiences, our reasons, and observations and I, and I think that's one of the things that Kohalith is trying to illustrate here that look I'm trying to make sense out of this based off of my experiences you know I you know I, I had great constructions I would you know uh, you know my, his reasons I was the wisest man his, his observations I've seen these this evil under the Sun I mean he's telling you we, we can't make sense out of life based off of our our very limited understanding of things. I mean, I think he's doing a great job of setting it up, like, you know, find God, fear God, know God.
1: And so what is it about the rich person, Mick, that makes faith in God difficult? I think what 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 is it about that proverbial person that is that rich person where he's gonna have a hard time entering the kingdom of heaven? Because why is that? Because the big
0: problem excuse me for a second. bad timing um they can't let go of other things they got too many things in the way and that's kind of one of the problems it's like um kind of going into a a different song when you ain't have when you ain't got nothing you you've got nothing to lose when you you've got very little in front of you blocking your way it's very easy to let go of it And, and i think that's kind of true for most of us we didn't have much going for us and it really wasn't a hard stretch to like Find, see God, because we don't have all this clutter in front of us. The rich person, think of it that, that way. You got all this richness cluttering your view; it's obstructing your view of God.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly bringing it home here. Uh, I, I get there's an assignment for you, listener, is to, to turn after after you after you turn off this podcast, turn to the Book of Deuteronomy, chapter eight, read verses ten to eighteen. This is God playing prophet here through the words of Moses. And he's reminding the people, hey, eventually they're going to have great things and they're going to be tempted to say, yeah, I, I, I'm the one that I'm the reason for all these things. And I'm the, I'm, I'm the reason that everything is good and they'll forget God. And that's that's the temptation of the rich man who has everything and, and begins to believe his own press clippings and begins to realize maybe I am all that in the bag of corn chips. Maybe I am. Maybe the reason I have all these things is because I'm awesome. And when I'm awesome, God is not awesome anymore because I'm the awesome one. And so there, there's an inherent danger there. For a poor person like you said who has nothing, there's really no there's really no uh, things to, to worship her maybe you're you're longing after those things. But there's really nothing to get in the way because you just don't have anything, and if, especially if you're living day, to, day by day, meal by meal. You're trusting inherently. So a poorer person in that in that analogy has a great advantage. Yeah. And so your reader or listener, your homework is to look at Deuteronomy 8, 8 10 to 18 and ask yourself if this describes you. And second of all, um, how can I not be like the proverbial rich man? Well, I wrote this down. Be thankful for it. Trust God for it. Be content with it but never worship it. So whatever God has given you, has blessed you with, be thankful for it. Trust God for it. Be content with it, but never worship it. And I think along with of if you're able
0: to also don't compare, I think because earlier uh, last week, we talked about envy creeping in the picture. Don't compare yourself. If, as long as you're comparing what you got with somebody else, you're always going to find someone that has more.
1: Yeah, it's like that—that that Aesop's fable of the dog that has a bone in his mouth, and he comes—he's crossing a bridge, and he looks down into the water, and he sees a reflection of a dog yeah. with a bone in his mouth, and he wants that bone, so he opens his mouth to go grab that bone, and drops his bone in the water. Now, now he has nothing. It's like you're always looking for the other side, and um, so our, our, our we put down a, a concluding verse. This, this I love—I love this proverb. This is not a proverb of Solomon, by the way. Uh, but it's, uh, it says, give me, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. <laughs> it's, it's just a great thing. It's, it's give me just enough and then give me the ability to be content with my just enough. So that I will always turn to you, God, the provider of my just enough.
0: Man, that, that that's a great verse. That really is verses, actually.
1: I mean, that's it's it's hard to say more. There, it's like, are you content? If you are content, how you will live a certain way.
0: Yeah.
1: If you're not, if you're not content, you will also live a certain way, and. One way is going to lead to a great life of enjoyment. And the other way is going to lead to a life of great darkness and frustration. And as we've been learning each week, we want the life that's going to give us meaning. We, we don't want life that is just nebulous and meaningless. We, we, we want to have a life that actually has some kind of value and has some kind of purpose and direction. And we, we got one more chapter tonight along that along that path. This has been Masterclass Theology, Mick and Joel here in our our coronavirus quarantine sequesterment. Thank you for listening, and uh, thanks for letting us share. God bless.
0: Amen to that, and um, adios.